I want to uh, read from the text for today. We actually, there's thousands, tens of thousands of churches that use what's called the lectionary. And the lectionary is just a list of appointed teachings for the church calendar. And we kind of try to use that in our teaching schedule here at Sanctuary, uh, not to limit us, but uh, simply to, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a series of, of readings that when you do it over a period of three years, you cover most of the major aspects of scripture. So we think that's just a good discipline. Today's reading in the lectionary is from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And keep in mind, the context is, Jesus had just taken off. He has ascended into heaven. He told them to wait. They've been waiting in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has fallen, and it's a party. They're preaching about it, and all of a sudden, their whole lives get recalibrated. We pick up the text as it talks about what they started to look like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's specifically a reference. The breaking of bread meant to the Eucharist, to communion. This is a very, very important part of their lives. There's a number of reasons for that that some hopefully will be able to integrate that into some teachings in the future. It was issues of social status. There's all kinds of issues here that when the Eucharist came together and they all ate together, men and women, children, slaves and free, it was a radical statement of what God was doing in the world. And so they were gathering together. Uh, Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and the believers were coming together and had everything in common. They're selling stuff, possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as they had need. Every day day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lots of stuff were going on in these days that just you know, came after the resurrection and the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're in the midst of the church's celebration of Easter. It isn't just one day. It's a season called Eastertide, which we celebrate till Pentecost Sunday, which is in June. And at the heart of this, it's, it's where we continue to reflect on the ramifications of the resurrection of our risen Lord. The truth is that at the heart of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus. We tend to think sometimes, many think that the heart of the Christian message is the Bible, this book. But the reality is the Bible is certainly sacred to us, but it's sacred to us because it reveals the person of Christ. And and relates the economy of God to us. In other words, the way that he's present among us and working in our midst. The word that is really significant to the church is not just written on pages. The word that's really the most significant to us, that interests us the most, is the word made flesh. Jesus Christ. Christianity has ethics, certainly it has rules, it has dogma, it has rights and wrongs, don'ts and do's, but it is not essentially those things. It is essentially about the person of Jesus Christ, and we claim that he's still alive, and we claim that he can be contacted via the Holy Spirit, a kind of holy seance. Up until the resurrection, the disciples They really didn't know quite what to make of Jesus. I mean, he did crazy things like notable miracles and he was able to command the elements, walked on water, stopped storms, that kind of stuff. But then he would do stuff that they'd scratch their heads over. 
Like, for instance, the Torah. The Torah was sacred. Nobody ever messed with the Torah. Every jot and every tittle. I mean, it was just like every cross T, every dotted I. It was like, you don't mess with the Torah. It's, it's holy. It's God's word. And yet Jesus said, it was said this way. Well, I'm just going to recalibrate that a little. Who does that? Right? Jesus does that. And then when it came to things like the Sabbath, the Sabbath was like sacred. You, and, and you thought you were in the world and you obeyed the Sabbath. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no. That, that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. And he recalibrates the, relation, the relational aspect of these laws, not just their law. And he talked about the temple in ways that confuse him. He says, it's going to be torn down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Or he took a whip and walked through the temple with a whip. I mean, he did things that were going, what is he doing, right? Then he, he starts speaking of a new covenant, a new agreement between God and humanity that makes the old obsolete and a new would come. And then he redefines Messiah. I mean, Messiahs were supposed to torment the people that were against the Jews. This would have been the Romans, all the armies. The, the Messiah should have tormented them, but instead... He says that I'm going to be tormented by their, by our enemies. I'm going to be beat by them. And they're mixed up. They don't understand. They believed that he was from God. They were just not sure what it meant. And so we pick up texts like Matthew, Mark, excuse me, chapter 9. And it says, they left this place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were. And because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Watch. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. I mean, they were with him, and he kept saying things that were confusing. But then Jesus rose from the dead, and they were both overjoyed and a little freaked out. But everyone knew it was a game changer. And when Jesus rose, he hung around for almost 40 days after he rose from the dead. He's just hanging around. And he would show up where the disciples were, then he'd disappear. He'd appear, and then he'd disappear, right? <laughs> and we pick up texts like this in Luke 24. It says, this is when Jesus appears to them, and they're walking along the road to Emmaus. And the scripture says, he prevented the two disciples that were walking to Emmaus. He prevented them from recognizing him. I wonder how much he does that for you. He's in your midst walking with you, but he prevents you from recognizing him. And when they finally get to the road, at the end of the road, and they're in Emmaus and they go up in the room, we pick up the text. It says that when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. This is the... The liturgy for Eucharist. And as he breaks it and began to give it to them, their eyes are opened and they recognized him and then he disappears. How cool is that? Right? <laughs> and then we pick up texts like John 20, another example of it. And in this particular text, it's a story about Thomas when he said, I want to put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. And there's three things I want you to see there on this, as I read this. One is watch how he surprises them. Remember, he's appearing in spring. Two, watch how he references the Holy Spirit. And then three, watch what the Thomas story tells us about maybe why Jesus hung around for that 40-day period. So here we read it. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the, door, the disciples are together, the doors are locked. No one's coming in, no one's going out. 
because of the fear of the Jews. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he comes, he stands in their midst, he surprises them. And he says what we say to one another every service, peace be with you. And then he, after he said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his side. The disciples were absolutely overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And his very breath is, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. He's saying, look, I'm sending you out to represent me. And what you do and how you relate to people will mean something for them. It will help them encounter or not encounter the eternal. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came that time. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, man, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where those nails were and put my hand into his, I'm not going to buy it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, no one's coming in, no one's going out, Jesus appears, stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, but believe. Now you gotta, you gotta, just put yourself in Thomas' shoes for a second. I mean, he had to be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, first of all, here's Jesus raised from the dead. Secondly, he's thinking, how did you, how did you know I said that? I mean, you weren't here. Or were you? And then he says, my Lord and my God. See, what if what Jesus' purpose in in appearing and disappearing over those 40 days uh, was simply to communicate with them about his presence? What if he was saying, I am with you whether you see me or whether you don't? I know what's going on in your life, whether you see me or whether you don't. And when you think you're saying things I'm not there to hear, I'm there to hear it. By the time Jesus gets to the ascension and he takes off into the sky, they seem to be okay with it. They might have thought, well, he's doing that thing again where he takes off, but we know he's here. (laughs) He's just playing the game. And they knew that he was with them because the Holy Spirit was going to come to them. And he said to them, he had said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, be open to the Holy Spirit, be open to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Figure out how that works with your personality, the contingencies of your life, your background, your experiences. Figure out how to be open to receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1, we watch as as he ascends before them, they take off for a while and they wait. They go to an upper room and they hang there waiting for the Holy Spirit. Why? See, I think they remembered the teaching that Jesus had given them about the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, there'll be a time when the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I said. As they pre- I'm sure they remember John's uh, gospel's record of John 16, 5. Now I am, this is Jesus. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're freaking out. You're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is, it's just better for you. It is good for you that I'm going away. Really? They had to be thinking, really? It's better for us that you're here. He said, no, no, it's good for you that I go away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send, you to, send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
He is saying that, that he would continue to be with them, but in a new way, vis-a-vis the Holy Spirit. So what does the early church do? They waited. And, and, they, and they discovered how to connect with the Holy Spirit. And he falls on them as a community. And Acts, the book of Acts, is all about Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, this over and over. The Spirit said the Holy Spirit led them over and over. And in Christian speak, that means the risen Christ is in our midst. He's still with us. And it created quite a stir. And that's what we read in our text for today where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They wanted to stay in that spout where the Spirit was coming out, right? Everyone was filled with awe and they had wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They're actually selling their stuff, giving it to people who had need. Every day they would meet together in the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes, eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people and God was adding to their number. They recalibrated their whole lives to the fact Jesus is permanently with them. This is the test of true religion. Is has your life changed? Is your life changing? It isn't just about what you align yourself with dogmatically or doctrinally. It matters if you're in contact with the risen Christ. If there's any certainty about connecting with the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's that things will be different. Resurrection itself, Jesus' resurrection itself, implied that a new world had begun. You ask any person in the ancient world who did believe in resurrection, if you would ask them, when does it happen? When does the resurrection happen? And to a person, they would answer you at the end of the world. That's when it happens. So here's Jesus who had died but was permanently raised from the dead and it meant it had to be the end of the world. But it doesn't seem to be the end of the world. But how is that possible? It was confusing and yet it dawned on them. It's the end of the old world and the start of a new one. And so the language of new entered the church's vocabulary. And they began to say, it's the start of a new age. It's the start of a new day. It's the start of a new world. And Jesus raising from the dead is the start of that newness. And so you get oodles of texts like this one in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any person is in Christ, the person is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. (laughs) New creation. The old gone. The new has come. The Christian's life is to be jammed with new. We have the promise of having our lives immersed in new. You can be a new person. You can be a different person. Things in your life can become new. Situations and problems in your life can be flipped. Things can, the old can lose its grip because you're connected to the risen one. Sadly, though, I, I wish it wasn't true, but because we're Americans and we like instant, we think, okay, if that's true, well, maybe you can pray for me after the service and put oil on me from Israel and somehow that, I, you know, pray for me in a way that will make everything new right now. Completely transform my husband, who happens to be an absolute punk. Right? But it doesn't work that way. When God makes things new, oftentimes it's a process. And not only is it a process, it's a struggling process. 
two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back, two steps forward, one step back, and you start slowly making progress. Paul relates this when he talks in 2 Corinthians 4, and he talks about this idea of the new overcoming the old and the tension that's there. And he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Why? Because it's easy too. Some of you have lost heart because it's not easy and it's long. But he says, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, the old seems to be winning, yet inwardly we're being renewed day after day for our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying we're, we're trying to orient our lives to the fact that there's a new and there's the old and it's together. But if we focus on the new and focus on his presence and focus on that he's with us by his spirit, slowly the old will begin to lose its strength and fade into the past. But we have to fix our eyes on that. The, the eternal wins, but only when we fix our eyes on it. He's talking about aggressive faith here. Not the casual kind. God always begins the process of making things new the moment we call on him, the moment we open ourselves to the spirit. But the process is that it is a process. The good news is, is that somehow, even though you're engaging in the process, that he's right there with you. But understand, sometimes it's a lot harder than other times. There's a story in the life of Jesus where he is you know, ministering to these people. Actually, the disciples had been ministering and they had gone out, as you remember the gospel story. They had gone out, they were healing people and casting out devils, which, which is filled with all kinds of ideas which we wish you could unpack. But it's just the notion that there's these struggles that you could encounter and the demonic forces somehow create situations in people's lives and in cultures that are very complex. And so they were going out and having a lot of success. The devils were answering to them or responding to them being cast out. The, the uh, healings were coming. But then they came across this situation with this little kid and they were stuck. Nothing would happen. All their energy and their prayer and their seeking, just it was dead-ended until Jesus shows up. And Jesus walks in, and in a moment, the situation is turned around, and there's help. And so what happens when we pick up the narrative is the disciples come to Jesus afterwards, and how come we couldn't do that? Why didn't, were you able to do that? And watch what he says. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive this out? Why couldn't we change this situation? And he replied, this kind of situation cannot be dealt with but only by prayer. What he's saying is, is, that, is that in this particular situation, there had to be enough level of pressing in in the heart. Enough prayer. One verse actually says in another uh, uh, gospel, and fasting. And so what Jesus is basically saying, there are times when the problems demand more than what you've dealt with heretofore. It demands more prayer. It demands more help from others. It demands more time. It's more gnarly. But denial is not present because you've been delayed. That more doesn't mean God is not at work. And there's hopeful texts like Philippians 1 that says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, the moment you called, will carry it on to completion. It's just sometimes we have to stick in there longer until it comes. There's a young gal in Wisconsin, when Gail and I were pastoring up there, and she was in real trouble as a teenager, constantly in and out of bad situations, drinking a lot. By the time she hit her early 20s, she was an alcoholic. And, uh, and so we were excited 
when she came to Christ. We, I knew her mother, and I remember the day she came to Christ. We were so excited. She's coming, and her life's going to be new. Well, she certainly had an amazing experience, and she certainly had that moment of cleansing, but it wasn't very much longer before she was back in and out of her trouble again. So she said, but I want help. But I, you know, I said, oh man, just coming to Christ didn't fix this. So we started getting her in Bible studies and working with her and, and still up and down. I, I actually got with her myself and sat down and we wrote scriptures out. I said, look, meditate on these scriptures and pray these scriptures. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old has passed, the new has come. And even though she had a little bit of help now and then, her salvation looked more like measles in spots, right? Didn't seem to be doing much, much really transforming in her life. But then she came to me, but I, I remember telling her, I said, listen, I said, I don't know what it, God always has a way out. If we just stick in here and we just keep pounding this with just a little more prayer, God, if we keep asking and keep knocking and keep seeking, we will discover this. Just don't lose heart. Let's go after this. And it was months. She's up and down and up and down. And also one day she came to me and she said, this is back in the 80s. She came to me and she said, early 80s. She said, I found this 30-day treatment thing. And those things were pretty, not, not real uh, available back then. And she said, she said, I just have this inkling that I should go to this. Well, part of me, you know, I'm thinking, well, is it very, is it, are they Christians? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I thought everything had to be just everything, you know, perfect, <laughs> biblical, right? And, uh, and she said, well, I don't know. And I said, okay, wait, I said, but you have this, here. I said, let's just, let's just trust God. So she went, and she's gone for 30 days, and, and I heard a couple of reports from the time. And uh, anyway, she got back, and I'm telling you, that girl, it's like everything came together. The scriptures, her experience in Christ, her prayer life, everything came together. And she went to a whole new level. That doesn't mean she didn't have occasionally, you know, kind of ups and downs, but nothing like the dramatic falling into despair and into the dirt like she was doing. And it's been over 30 years, and her life has been... She's new, but it didn't just come because of a single prayer or a single moment. Sometimes when you seek God for new, new will come, but it just takes a while. I love this text, Hosea 6. It says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. He will come. 15 years ago, Gail and I uh, hit a patch of trouble that made our marriage look like it was doomed. I had sinned against her. She was devastated. Our life spun into chaos. But she was the first one to take a step towards the resurrected Christ. And softly, yet firmly, she began to trust that things could be made new. It took months. But what was became old. And the new came overwhelming the old. You can have new. In the creation narrative, it begins in the book of Genesis with the world in complete disarray. And when the text opens up in Genesis chapter 1, we read that the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Some of you would describe your life like that. That it's formless and empty and darkness is all over. It's the image of chaos. But then at the end of that verse, it says, but the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the surface of the waters. This idea that the Holy Spirit's presence was making something possible. What? New. Creative new. And the creation ensues. Separations. First, the chaos started being separated where God separates light from darkness and, from, and the dry land from the water and the sky from the ground. And there's all this separation. No life yet, but separation. And then the dawning of new life. All things became new. God has always been a creator and he still is. And we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Somehow he is present in our lives. And God is asking us. That's one of the prayers that Paul prayed. He said, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would see his power that's released toward us that is in accord with the power that was released in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't just a bomb that blew off and it's over. It was like a power plant coming online. And it's still going. It's still flowing. Paul says, open your eyes. I pray you'll get your eyes open to see that you can plug in. Why? Because when you plug in, your life will be different than when you're unplugged. But we have to work at it to figure that out, to move toward it. But it's there. This is why the early church would cry out. Paul cried out. He said, all I want to know is him. And I want to know even if the fellowship of his sufferings that I might be, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. What is he talking about? I just want to connect with the fact that he's alive. I want to remember it so that the newness of who he is comes into my life. Let me leave you with this. First Peter one, Peter says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Why is it new? Because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a new world. It's a new day. You can be, that's why they called it being born all over again. Why? Because it's a new age. It's a new day. Jesus has come from the dead. And he says this new birth, it's a new situation. This is a new birth into what he calls a living hope. What is the hope? Hope is the expectation of something good. He says, we've been born into a place where we have living hope. We don't have to live in the dread of of what's happened or live in the just looking at what we see because there's something we don't see that overrides what we see. And if we can simply just look and, and peer into the fact that there's hope, that God is at work in our lives. He says, this is, we have this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all about the resurrection. This is what put things in motion. We can have a new life based on Jesus is alive. And the question for us this morning, the question I want to ask you is, are you living in that hope or are you settling for what is? New may not be fast. New may not be now, but hope is now. And hope is fast. It's that sense of his presence that says, this story isn't fully written. There's more. When we come to the table this morning, we come with the hope of encountering him by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we take the bread and we take the cup, what we're saying is, you're present here by the Holy Spirit. And you're here with us. Open our eyes. Remember they said that when they broke the bread at the table in Emmaus, their eyes were open, they saw him. The church has always believed and said that when we come to the communion table, that Jesus opens our eyes. 
Let's pray. Let's hope that that happens to us where we catch him in our lives this morning. And let's set our faces like flint and go after this. What does that mean? That it's actually a statement from Isaiah. The flint stone was the stone that if you hit it, what happens? Sparks. When you hit it, light comes. When you hit it, things get started. Right? And Isaiah said it this way, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. Go ahead and resist me. Go ahead and let circumstances hit me. They say this isn't going to work and it will ignite me. That's what hope does. And I know I will not be put to shame. This is Eastertide. We have the right to know. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite those that are participating in uh, helping us to serve, to come for the Eucharistic table. And for those of you that are the worship leaders, if you come. To prepare our hearts to receive the body and blood of Christ, let's pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, Lord, we lift up these elements to you. We pray that God, through your goodness, as we bring this bread and this cup, which has come from the earth and through the work of human hands, we bring them as an offering to you. We invite your presence into this moment. And we celebrate that you have chosen this meal to make us one in Christ and one with each other. And we offer these gifts and ourselves in a single living act of praise. And if you lift up the bread. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. And so by faith, Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we trust that you are filling this bread and that it is becoming for us the body of Christ. And so we say by faith, welcome into our midst, Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, when he took the cup, if you lift the cup, He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're entering this cup and that it is becoming for us the blood of Christ. And so we say to you by faith, welcome into this place, Lord Jesus. Let's declare the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
and Christ will come again. And I declare to you, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.